0: and for a few weeks there i was really 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 lost lost to a point in which you know every day i had a different idea And while we were talking, she kind of explained to me that she was now working as a coach. And in my mind, I was like, that's bullshit. Like, who needs a coach? Like, I didn't, you know, I had done therapy before, but I was very skeptical about it as well. So I was like, you know, a coach is even like, it's even worse. It's so useless. Like, I don't need somebody to tell me what I need to do in life or what, where I need to go. Right. I'm very strong and confident. And, you know, I remember I went back home and I started talking to my boyfriend about it. And I was like, can you believe that there's people who pay for this kind of stuff? And he was like, yeah, okay. And then, you know, he after a few days, he was like, I mean, I don't want to tell you what to do. But if you really think it's bullshit, why is it been a week and we keep talking about it? Like change the subject. And And he was like, are you sure you're not actually considering it? And I was like, well, maybe I am. That was crazy. I was making like 1,000 per month, like after three days of launching this thing, uh, just because people, like students, they so the, the nine euros for them was so low that they could kind of see the value and they really needed the support.
1: Michela Andrioli is the interview guest of this episode and it's truly a Christmas episode because the combination of comfort, depth, and unfiltered authenticity, which Michaela provides on topics such as pathfinding or path creation, introspection, and working your way forward and figuring out what you're doing on the go while experimenting with things, changing your mind on matters, um, are unparalleled. I'm super, super happy that we've recorded this conversation and enjoy the episode. Yeah. Nice. Welcome, Michaela.
0: Hello, thank you.
1: Hey, um, I'd like to start with a quote from one of your TikToks, actually. Ooh. <laughs> um, I just went through your your TikTok, um, I don't know how you call it, like content library uh-huh. and watched a couple of videos. And of course, I speak some Italian, I understand some Italian at least. And um, on one of your top TikToks, and I think this could neatly summarize what you are about, um, like you, it's, it's the one where you, which you also showed me, like once we were meeting up, where uh-huh. you walk around in Turin, I think, and you film yourself for like two and a half minutes,
0: uh. <laughs> just a
1: straight up, straight up monologue. And you speak about uh, leaving Google, having worked for Amazon, having explored big tech, SAP also, I don't know whether you mentioned them. And then you finish with a quote. Do you remember the quote? Actually, I don't. Like in, in English translated and I didn't use Google Translate, which I'm very okay. proud of, of that. I'm so
0: scared of so like... what you're gonna say because I have no idea what I said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, so I think you you don't need to be scared, but you said so what's happening to me is really amazing. A molto figa or some words, yes. right? I'm super happy to create a version of myself which I haven't seen yet and that I haven't Fossilized, so set in stone myself into a version of what my environment would, wants me to be.
0: Yes. Yeah. Do you remember no. That this? really. Yeah, I think that really sounds like me. That's something that I've been saying so much. Now that I think about it, uh, it's true. It's true. I mean, it's true. And if you knew me before this kind of uh, before quitting Google, let's say, you would never imagine that something like that could come from me. Uh, I've always been super strongly opinionated on like a number of things. And I always thought that having a strong opinion would make me tough, or actually would make me look tough. So I never allowed myself to kind of um, change my mind or let any other version of myself come out because I thought, well, that doesn't go with my tough brand. And I think what happened ever since I left Google is that I let go of that version of myself, which I loved. And I mean, I don't regret it existing, but it just, I think now it's time for something new. And what I'm trying to do right now, like I said in the video, is just seeing what other version of myself I can create if I don't think about it too much, like what comes up, let's say. Yeah.
1: Um, maybe for some some background for anyone who listens, yeah. like where do you come from? What's your story? Like let's not do the like 30 minute version of this <laughs> um, and still let's dive into it in some way because I think you play a lot with it or your background is actually very important and your story is very, or the story which you're, or this story i don't know how much with narratives you actually work and think and whether you try to stay in narratives or whether you cut all narratives but anyways it seems to be a part of you to speak about or to, to say that you're italian to say that you're first or no i won't say anything else maybe you do the rest now
0: <laughs> yeah so it, it is i mean i think yeah it is i i love my story and i think that's why it keeps coming up whenever i whenever i speak about myself i think there is no way you can plan your future if you're not really sure of where you come from. Uh, but at the same time, what I always say is that I don't want where I come from determined where I'm going. Um, and in order for me to, to do that, I need to always remember uh, that I exist. I existed in two words for a long time. The first word, um, I was the first in my family to go to graduate high school. So you were about to say it, but yeah, it's true. Um, and of course, I mean, at first, I that that led me to see myself as an unprivileged person. Because ever since I started university, I had no idea of what I was doing. So I started engineering, then I went and do my master's abroad in Berlin. And I always felt like, oh, the others are so lucky because they have somebody they can talk to about this and I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, And so I think that kind of led me to take conventional choices. So I went into big tech, uh, almost by mistake, uh, I got the first internship in Amazon and then I kind of never left big tech. So I, then I did SAP and then I did Google. But then when I... I think there was a point when I was in Google where I realized this is not what I want. Like I somehow got here, uh, even if my parents didn't know what I was doing, even if I was the first one to do it, I think I managed to get here, but that's not really what I want. I'm not that happy, let's say. the, the Being the girl in tech wasn't serving me anymore and so i decided to quit and the moment i decided to go the unconventional route so to try and be an entrepreneur and actually leave a lot of money on the table because you know i think just like me when you leave google you are leaving a lot of money on the table and in that moment my parents were so supportive and they were so they trusted me so much that I realized I was never unprivileged. The fact that my parents believe in me this much is actually what got me through and what allows me now to create this new version of myself without being scared of somebody judging me. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's important for me to remember that I was the first one in my family to graduate high school, but it's also important to remember that my parents' love and trust towards me is what got me here. It's not what prevented me to, to do whatever I did next. Was it the short version? Which City. Situ- yeah.
1: <laughs> this was a perfect version. Thanks. <laughs> and how did you like, I mean, this was now very, so so it, it seems like very okay. Then I was at Google, then I realized this, then I did this, this and that and moved on. How was it actually for you? Because I think many people, particularly these days and these years, can resonate with without me ever having asked this question to you, but like what was going through your mind and you, what were you feeling when you were in your job at Google and you were like, oh fuck, I probably need to leave.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it wasn't um, a straightforward process. So it's not like I woke up one day and I was like, yeah, I know it. Like I have to change. I think it was more of um Trying to listen to myself, kind of, process, kind of process, even if the signals were not really clean or, you know, very loud, let's say. Um, it started off by being frustrated. So whenever I did something, whenever people would actually tell me, oh, you work at Google, that's so cool. I realized that instead of being proud, I was actually frustrated because I was like, actually, I am a cool person, but for a r- number of reasons that have nothing to do with Google. So why don't you ask me about that? Of course, it wasn't uh, the people who were talking to me fault that they hadn't, they didn't have an idea. Uh, but I think the first frustration that I felt was realizing that I was being associated with the brand of the company that I was working for. And I didn't like that because I thought I have so much more to give, which is not related to to Google. And I want people to see that instead of only focusing on the brand. So I think that was the first piece uh, that made me realize maybe something is not completely right. And then, of course, Google, just like Amazon and SAP and and any other big tech company, they are big companies, which means that it's not always uh specifically what you're doing that really matters. There's also politics and there's people involved and there's long processes and a lot of stakeholders. And I wanted to be quick and I wanted to do stuff and I wanted to kind of get my hands dirty, regardless of the salary, the bonuses or whatever. And I feel like, you know, when you try to come with that mindset into a company that works perfectly already as it is, it's very hard. And I think um i had i was i kind of i felt like i had two options i could either understand that that was a company that worked perfectly without my help and that you know i didn't i didn't have to change it there was no need for me to kind of bring in whatever i wanted to bring in and so kind of adapt to that or understand the fact that Google was not serving me. So it wasn't only that I couldn't serve Google the way they wanted me to, of course, because again, I wasn't really a, your typical corporate employee. Uh, but also the, the, the work I was doing in Google was not serving me as a person, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as a woman. As, I mean, I, I couldn't get anything out of it. it. It was only a matter of money. And so I realized at a certain point, if you're only saying you're because of the money and you're 25, that's sad for me. I mean, I, if, if everybody has their own goals. But for me, that wasn't my only my primary goal, let's say. So, of course, I'm not naive. I know that money are important, is important. So what I did is I saved enough uh, to then kind of be able to be uh, kind of calm for a couple of months and then I quit. And it was just but yeah, the main, the main point was that it just it wasn't serving me anymore.
1: Got it. And did you, like, how did you manage this process? So how did you, quote unquote, listen to yourself and decrypt the signals, which your subconscious or like, I don't know, which you were actually feeling? And then did you use any mentoring, peers, uh, partner support, like anything to kind of decipher what was happening? And were you building a side gig? Did you already have your side gig at that time? Like just to get some more color in this situation. Yeah. And where were you, by the way, in Dublin?
0: In Dublin. Yeah, I was in Dublin. Um, I did have my side gig at the time, which I think is what kept me alive, (laughs) because I spent Mm. a lot of time crying and crying. And I think the crying was a result of me not understanding why I couldn't be happy in a place that a lot of people would dream about. That drove me mad. You know, like a lot of people were like, oh, you work at Google, that's so great. And instead of being grateful, I was crying every day. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I like this and enjoy whatever, you know, what the others would want? Um, I had a lot of support, like a lot of support. I think my, my boyfriend, like he, he talked to me every day. Of course, he listened to me complaining and crying. And I was complaining mainly about myself because I wasn't really, uh, it wasn't clear to me how would it be possible that I couldn't enjoy what I had. My parents played a big role in it because I was also kind of scared of telling them that I didn't like it. Because I felt like I have a responsibility. They did a lot of sacrifices for me to get there. And, you know, for me to get there and then tell them, actually, I don't like it. I felt that's a very privileged position and I was scared so when they came to visit me in November I remember I was crying I think it was a really bad time and uh, my mom told me look you don't have to do this like if you don't like it we don't care just change job and I mean I think at that time I was like okay so my parents don't really care if I'm a Googler or if I work somewhere else they just want me to find something that I like and that was a lot of help but also I uh had a coach in Google. They have this amazing program of G2G coaches. Uh and I and I talked to one for like a few months and I also started therapy. So I was doing whatever I could to listen to myself. I had no idea what was going on, but mm. I was really I really I, I was doing my best to listen to myself and realize what is it that I can do to change the situation. And I think at a certain point everybody around me were like you don't have any problem. You just need to change job. And I was like, well, that's easy. I can do that. And so, yeah, that, that's how I got to that.
1: How long did the process take? I mean, you were in total, at, at least I think on LinkedIn, it says like one year and three months at Google, so 15 yeah. months. Um, yeah. How long did this, this iteration or this cycle take?
0: Yeah, I think I realized it wasn't the place for me uh, pretty soon. But at the same time, mm-hmm. when I say pretty soon, I mean like around, so I moved to Dublin in May and I think, you know, around summer, I was already like questioning my choice. Uh, but at the same time, it took me a year to fully realize it was me and it wasn't them, basically, like that I really wanted to do something different with my life. So, yeah, the the, the whole year, let's say, was kind of a struggle, uh, not because of the job itself, not because of anything itself I was just in the, you know when you're like in the wrong place and you're like I can do I want to do something different but I don't know how to put this in words I think that was what was going on in my mind
1: is there anything you would tell yourself if you could jump back and spend an afternoon with yourself in this situation you crying on your bed or sofa or whatever and you <laughs> coming into your room as your older version what would you tell yourself
0: I mean, to be honest, I could tell myself anything. I wouldn't listen to me. So I already know that whatever I would tell (laughs) myself wouldn't, wouldn't be heard. But I would, I would basically tell them it's okay. Just cry. You know, it's, I needed to do that. I think I needed to go through the process of. Uh, being lost and feeling lost and feeling misunderstood by the world. You know, when you're like, ah, nobody understands me. And then actually like there is like millions of people who are going through the same exact thing, but you don't want to see that in that in in that moment. I think it was time for me to feel like that. So I would tell myself, it's okay. Just cry, do whatever you want. You already know what the solution is. So just get there when you're ready to get there.
1: Did you realize it that actually like millions of other people are going through the same situation? Did you think, you that?
0: know, no, I mean, and now I see it, you know, now I see it, but when I was there, I think in these kind of companies, there is like a tendency for everybody to, to, to I don't, I don't want to say pretend because I think a lot of people are actually happy, but I think it's, it's harder to say out loud that there's something that is not quite right. Because you have so much, you know, how do I say to the whole world that I have an amazing salary, that I have a great apartment, that I have Mm. a nice job and that I'm not happy. I feel extremely privileged. I felt extremely privileged to say that. And I didn't want to say that. I was like, you know, where I come from, it's you can't complain like that. You, You shouldn't do that. And I think that's why I was really trying to focus on the what is wrong with me. So why can't I enjoy this rather than what's wrong with the place I'm in? So I think I didn't quite understand that a lot of other people were going through the same, but now I think now that I'm out, I'm like, yeah, of course I wasn't alone in, in this.
1: Did you try to change something internally at Google or did you do something like set up a program or like, I don't know, did you, were you like super transparent to your manager back then?
0: Yes. I was super transparent, uh, but I think, like I like I said before, you know, it. The, I, I mean, Google doesn't have problems. Amazon doesn't have problems. I mean, they make their money. It's a uh, you know they, they are in terms of business wise. Let's say they work well. Uh, they are in huge companies. It's. Even though I did my best to be propositive in the changes that I was proposing, I realized there is no business case for them to listen to me because I'm one person, they are 170,000. There's no way I'm going to change how things work. So even though, yeah, I tried to, I understand that it was very hard for them to listen to me, let's say, because they didn't see probably the value or it was too hard to implement changes. Or also, I have to say, I was very emotional. You know, when when you have internal conflicts, mm. the things that you bring are not very clear. So I was maybe crying or I was being emotional or uh, I was trying to make a point, but then I would kind of uh, go into some other topic because I was very confused internally. So I think it wasn't really easy for them to listen to me. But also at the same time, you know i was part of one team in google made of 60 people the fact that my experience was not mm. the best doesn't say anything about google because google is a huge company so it would be unfair for me to say you know my place was not in google probably my place was not in that specific team in that specific city in that specific department
1: got it got it um hey anyways Let's let's move on. I think we've we've covered not a lot there, <laughs> or we've dug deep enough. Uh, I think after Google, you did your US tour, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. So I quit my job. My last day was the first of July, and on the thirteenth of July, I left for the US.
1: Yeah. And maybe also tying it into your side gig slash venture. Like what is it about? Why did you go to the US? What did you do there?
0: So my uh, first company uh, it was—it's called Work Freight—and um, I wanted students in Italy don't work, and I really think that's a huge problem. Um, so I wanted to give companies a way to book students by the hour and pay them, of course, by the hour. And the money that students earn needed to be spent on extracurricular activities. So the idea was, even if your parents cannot afford sending you to volunteer to Asia, you can work for it, you save money, and then you pay for it yourself while getting some hands-on experience, helping a startup, for example. So that, that was the idea. And uh, when I was in Google, I felt very much constrained let's say like I felt like I I had to follow a structure and I had to do things in a certain way because of course it was a huge company with huge processes so I think when I left what I wanted to do was give myself a chance to be crazy I was like you should go to a place where you can express yourself fully and just you know nobody cares nobody does anything and for me that was the US I've always loved the US for for this particular aspect Uh, and because what I wanted to do had a lot to do with kind of reimagining education in Italy which like I said doesn't include uh, working. At the moment, I thought, well, let's go to the US and tour the best universities in the country and see what they're doing. If they are, if, if their idea is completely kind of, you know, uh, the opposite of what I have in mind, maybe I'm crazy. But if you're doing something similar to what I have in mind, maybe I'm not that crazy. And there's actually a reason behind what I'm doing. So I left and I did from Philadelphia to Boston. And I basically did uh, most of the Ivy leagues. Um, and what I tried to do was, so I did all the undergrad tours as a prospective student. Luckily, I could pass for an i for a, for an high school student, so they didn't say anything. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, i well, my my idea was actually to try and listen how they promote their programs among students. I wanted to see what they want their brand to be, basically, what do they tell them. And then I spoke to students and then I spoke to the Dean of admission of a few of them and um, I went to a few events and I mean, I kind of, it kind of confirmed what I had in mind, nobody talked that much about academic excellence. They all talked about sports and you know doing uh, extracurricular things and working and uh, a lot of um, all the clubs that they have and also like something that I really love was the idea of undeclared major. So I think in Italy we keep telling students that what they get wrong is the fact that they don't they don't pick the right university and they do it because there's a lack of kind of coaching when they're supposed to to to, to choose their their undergrad. What I think is that. That really doesn't matter. Like I, I think there isn't a single person on earth that when they were 18 knew exactly what they wanted to be. And I mean, maybe there is, but I think that's not the majority of people. <laughs> uh, and so I think the problem is not that 18-year-olds in Italy don't know what they want to do with their life. The problem is that we tell them that the choice that they're going to make at 18 is going to kind of, you know, destroy their whole future if it's not correct. When I discovered that in the U.S. you could actually start your university without even saying what you want to major into, I was like, that's gold. Like, I love it. And they actually want people to try as many courses as possible before, like, making that decision. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. great, you know, because I think that's kind of, that was exactly what I was going through. I was like, I kind of put myself in a box. I was good at math and I wanted to do big corporate. What if I was told that I could experiment? That would have been so much better. And so I think that's why I went to the US. And then I also wanted to speak to a few investors and VCs and see what the process could look like you know i knew nothing about what i was doing to be honest like whenever when i was in new york city i went to talk to a vc and i pitched something just because i didn't want to lose the opportunity of doing so but i didn't even know what i was pitching you know if he had asked me like how much money you're trying to raise i would have to say like random number and you're like, at, at what valuation? You know, people were talking to me. And then at night I was going home and reading about what I, what they were telling me because I was like, I don't know, what's a valuation? Like, how do I, how do I give them this number? Like, what's the average? What's the benchmark? I knew nothing. So I think it was just a way for me to put myself really outside of my comfort zone and see how that would look like.
1: This is like amazing, the story about the US. Um, <laughs> How did you come up with the, like, okay, you came up with the idea because you started work for it, right? Yeah. So you were yeah. always already tied to education. Uh, fun fact here, by the way, that we were at the same ed tech meetup in Berlin and stood next yeah. to each other and met each other like a week later <laughs> through Young yeah. Tran again. Shout out to Young. He already got a shout out in the <laughs> early episode. A- um, Okay, there's a couple of thoughts, like, First of all, like, how did you think about conceptualize and then realize the U.S. trip? I know it's not as crazy as starting a company or whatever. However, why am I asking this question? Because like, when I quit my job, uh, my last job, like at Yodel, my flatmate and I were actually getting kicked out of our apartment. It was like a weird rental relationship, so we had to leave. And then the moment we were told that we we're losing the apartment, and I had already quit my job, I was like calling my friend to tell him, and in or he to- called me to tell me. And then I was exactly, uh, in in this moment, I was re- uh, already like, okay, bro, we're going to go to the US for like six months, uh, six months, like three months was the plan. And then we stayed like six to eight weeks. Uh, how was this for you? And what was the like, okay, I understood that you wanted a new environment, et cetera. But how did you plan it? How did you realize it? What did your environment say? And how did you then go about actually scheduling all of this stuff in the US and also meeting the VCs? Yeah. And, uh, or meeting interesting people. I know there's one relationship which actually, which you're actually still nurturing, which is still ongoing, right? Um, and yeah. so maybe some, some, some words on this would be super cool. Yeah.
0: yeah so I have to say, um, it isn't uncommon for me to do stuff like this. So, like when I was 18, I booked a flight for Bali and I went there to volunteer without booking anything else. Uh, so, I think my environment, so but my family, my boyfriend, they're used to me doing random stuff like this. Uh, so, leaving by myself with a backpack and be like, "Hey, I'll be back sometime, like next month." Uh, so that was not a surprise for them. The idea of the U.S. came because going to the U.S. was always my dream. So uh, one other big reason for which I wasn't sure that I should quit Google was that I was like, if I resist, maybe they're going to move me to the US. Maybe I'm going to find a job in New York City, uh, which was my dream all along. And when I quit Google, I was like, I need to prove to myself that I don't need Google to go to the US. It's one flight away. I can go by myself. So I think that's why I went, because I really needed to prove mm. to myself that I didn't need somebody else's support in order to go there. I mean, I think there's a number of, um, of, of ways things Could actually work out. Google was one of them and I needed to realize it wasn't the only one. So that's why originally I said, I'm going to go and spend a month in New York City because I love it. It's my favorite city on earth and I'm going to kind of get recharged and inspired. Then, so I just booked my one way flight to New York City and that was it. And I was like, and then, and then we'll see. (laughs) Uh, So I was about to book my uh, entire apartment for the entire month. And then I thought, well, but since I'm going there, I've already been to New York City. I've never been to Boston. So maybe I'll also go to Boston. And then I realized, well, since I have to go to Boston, what else can I do? And I'm a big fan of uh, Gilmore Girls, uh, like the biggest fan. Mm -hmm. Like I know all the episodes. And I mean, Rory went to Yale and I was like, I want to go see Yale. And so I was like, I mean... I already have three on my list. I'm going to do all of them. And so that's how I decided to go to Philadelphia as well. And then, of course, Connecticut for Yale. And then I've also been to Providence, Rhode Island, where Brown is. And uh, Mm -hmm. I also did a weekend in Cape Cod. But it was all kind of random. So I was booking, like, the only two things that I booked were the apartments in New York City and Boston. And all the rest was kind of made, like, on the day. So, like, uh, I was booking hostels and whatever I could find. Um, and uh, as far as meeting people went, I have to say, I was so professors in the US, like, all of their emails are public. Uh, so, I just went on the websites of the universities that I wanted to tour and I looked for people who worked in education and underprivileged people and DNI. And I just showed them a message. And I was like, hey, I'm coming to the US because of xyz would you could I buy you a cup of coffee and just you know hear your perspective on this and i mean a lot of them didn't respond but some responded and i think that was enough and i think the same was for the investors so i did uh when i was still in dublin and i was trying to fundraise i sent over a lot of messages and a lot of, you know, connection requests. And I, I, I think I tried to start the network. And a lot of them actually told me we're not interested in investing, but they were pretty open to keeping the relationship open. So I thought, well, I know them. I mean, I, I talked to them once. I'm just going to text them again and tell them that I'm going to be in the States. Maybe they want to meet for a coffee. And that's how I went. I mean, I met with somebody uh, who I really admire. She's an angel investor for women in uh, future of work. Uh, and I think, you know, just having one coffee with that kind of people, the fact that I could be there. I mean, I remember going to these uh, coffee appointments and I, w- and I was telling myself, you are doing it like you're actually doing what you always wanted to do without a company like Mm -hmm. supporting you or without anything else. And I think that was exactly what I needed to remind myself that I could do that. And from, like you said, from one of these coffee chats, uh, an amazing relationship started. So I, when I was in New York City, um, I met with Exor Ventures. Uh, they are a VC. They have an office in Italy, an office in New York City, uh, and they knew that I was there, so we, we met and I actually pitched to them something that didn't make sense. I remember their managing director looking at me and be like, you what know, did you pitch? One th- what did you pitch? really like I don't even so I had already pitched work for it to them once and I knew that there was they were interested in investing because I didn't think it was a VC backable business and spoiler they were right um and so I thought I can't pitch the same thing they're gonna think I'm crazy and so like the day before I kind of I tried to I don't know make something up like it was more geared towards future work in the and rather than education and I was trying to make it work but of course it didn't I mean now that I think about it it didn't Like the the narrative just wasn't there. And so I went there in this room in Soho. I mean, I felt like in a dream, you know, if I, I mean, I felt like I kind of got out of my body and look at the situation from above. And I was like, what the hell are you doing there? Like, you're not supposed to be there, but that's okay. I mean, we're here. I just make it so we make it. So I start speaking, uh, I start pitching. And after like a few minutes, or even, I mean, five to 10 minutes, so I think they let me go on for quite a bit. The managing director looks at me and he goes like, I mean, one thing is clear. You are an entrepreneur, but one thing isn't clear. I don't know what you want to build. And I was like, I don't know either. Like (laughs) I don't, I'm I'm not, I'm not judging if you didn't understand because I I also didn't understand. So, uh, I think they told me we want to help you. So why don't you spend some time with us and we're going to help you figure out what is it actually that you want to build? And that was the beginning of an amazing relationship. And now in January, I'm also going to start your venture builder. I think that made me realize that, I think, yeah, that actually made me realize, and here is a big shout out to Diala, who is the head of Venta in Italy, uh, that what really makes a difference in somebody's life is when somebody believes in you. I think that, There's a whole difference. And I think that was the first time that I realized it's not really money that I was lacking. I wasn't unprivileged because my parents weren't super rich. I was super privileged because my parents always believed in me. And being in that position, talking to Diala, and she was giving me kind of, you know, she was helping me figure out what I wanted to build. I was like, I'm so lucky. I mean, it's incredible that she would actually, you know, put her money where her word is. Basically, she was telling me, we believe in you. Come with us, we're gonna help you. And I was like, that's great. So I'm really excited to be starting their program in January because I think when somebody believes in you, that, that that's a game changer.
1: Yeah, I totally plus yeah. one. <laughs> um, there's actually three thing, three three words I wanna drop about this. And the third one being the best, which I think really describes you. So number one is drive. So what I really hear is you're highly driven. Number two is ambitious. So you're like even <laughs> you don't you're not scared of situations to which are way larger than you perceive yourself to be at this point in time. And the third one, and this is so cool, I don't know whether I already said it in the intro, is like you're uh, unfiltered. Like this yeah. <laughs> is so really cool. And maybe already brings us to the next um, to the next point. Uh, let me start with uh, with, a, with how we get to know each other, actually. So we were sitting at this um, VC get-together from Speedinvest, from Young, by the way also shout out to Hannes Eichmeier who organized the AtTech uh, event from BrightEye a week before that or something and um a friend of mine Daniel Karim also ex Google uh, was sitting with us and he was like just finally talking about uh, a book he's currently reading which is called The Pathless Path <laughs> and then we started talking about uh, the situations which we're currently going through and what we're currently doing and like what we're creating
0: yeah, I think right now I feel very much on the pathless path. Uh, but I think, you know, like I said before, a f- just a few months ago, I would have never been somebody who openly said, I have no idea what I'm doing. I was also somebody who was very determined to kind of get to, the, to, to their goals. So like I until a few Months ago, I had a list on my iPhone on my notes of things that I wanted to accomplish and with the date that I wanted to accomplish them by. And I always tried to make them true, like to, to actually, to actually get to them. Uh, when I quit Google without really knowing what was coming next, that wasn't possible anymore because I, I didn't have, I didn't know what the goal was supposed to look like. So I, there was no way for me to be able to kind of create a path to get there. Right. So. I went to the US and there was very a lot of adrenaline, you know, I was happy about it. But then I, I came back to, to Europe and it kind of, it was like when you come back from a vacation, you know, when you're on vacation, you're like, yeah, anything is possible. I can do whatever I want. But then I came back and I was like, and now what? It was September. So everybody starts working again and you don't have a job. And I was like. What do I do now? So I started working with Yala in, uh, in Turin and that was great because I had something to work towards and I was, uh, and I was like, okay, I can do this. Like, I, I like it. Then I started Antler in October and I was like, okay, so I'm doing this. And I thought, you know, I always thought that's my last resort, kind of. If by October I don't know what I'm doing, at least I have Antler, which is like a program with very clear, you know, a schedule and everything. Uh, but then when I started Antler and I realized I, it wasn't really the place for me either, I started questioning myself and I was like, well, now what do we do? And for a few weeks there, I was really, really, really lost, lost to a point in which, you know, every day I had a different idea. First, I wanted to build uh, a VC backed startup and raise a lot of money. And then I wanted to be a freelancer. And then for a brief period, I also wanted to work in VCs in London. So I think I kind of went through a whole bunch of different phases. And in between these kind of phases, then I had coffee with somebody. Um, she was an investor. So I, I actually got the coffee, the, the intro from a fellow founder because of the founder investor relationship. And while we were talking, she kind of explained to me that she was now working as a coach. And in my mind, I was like, that's bullshit. Like, who needs a coach? Like, I didn't, you know, I had done therapy before, but I was very skeptical about it as well. So I was like, you know, a coach is even like it's even worse. It's so useless. Like, I don't need somebody to tell me what I need to do in life or where I need to go. Right. I'm very strong and confident. And, you know, I remember I went back home and I started talking to my boyfriend about it. And I was like, can you believe that there's people who pay for this kind of stuff? And he was like, yeah, OK, once then the second day. But I mean, again, can we talk about it like once more? And then, you know, he after a few days, he was like, I mean, I don't want to tell you what to do. But if you really think it's bullshit, why is it been a week and we keep talking about it, like change the subject? And I, And he was like, are you sure you're not actually considering it? And I was like, well maybe I am. And I was like, I, I mean, I, I was, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like, girl, like get it together. You, you're going like from one side to the other. And then, and so I was like, let's just take another coffee with this person and see where that leads. We start talking and um, she pointed out something that I really had never thought about, which was, she told me, why are you doing this ping pong between The crazy Michaela that wants to be an entrepreneur and she goes with no plan to the U.S. And she just tries to fundraise for something that doesn't exist. And then the Michaela in Europe that wants to work for a VC, like one of the most political and, you know, very well-structured job in the world. And I was like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Why am I doing this? Like, why am I going back and forth? And she was like... I think it's an it's a it's kind of it's topic of identity. Like I think there is two different Michaelas that that coexist inside of you. One is in the U.S. and one is here. Why is that? And at first I thought, I mean, she thought she actually asked me, "Is it a matter of time? Did you give yourself, let's say, six months to be an entrepreneur, and now that the six months are are gone, you're kind of looking into you know going back to uh being an employee?" And I actually thought that's not it. I never gave myself time. And I realized it was a matter of location. When I was in the U.S., nobody knew me. I could be whoever I wanted to. I, w- I was not afraid of kind of um, disappointing somebody because, you know, there was a 6 hours time zone difference, which meant that anything that was happening there, I had the time to digest it, create the narrative in my head, and then tell it however I wanted other people to know it, to my parents or on social media, whatever. When I'm in Europe, people see me, people who know me see me, my friends, my family, my boyfriend, and I felt, I realized I had created um, an image of myself that I wanted to preserve. They all saw me as a tough person with goals and things to do. And I realized, Jesus, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to do things that I think other people want me to do. I want to do what I want to do. And But then it was like, what is it that I want to do? And so she gave me this book to read. And the book is called um, The Surrender Experiment. And it's about this guy who ends up being traditionally successful. So he makes a lot of money, let's say. But he kind of does an experiment with his life. And the experiment is he decides to just do what life puts in front of him without kind of um eliminating the judging process from any decision. So he's not thinking I like it, I don't like it. He's actually he actually thinks this is what life gave me. I'm going to do it with uh, the best of my cap- capabilities. And I started working with this coach. And I mean, I'm not going to go through uh, into the whole journey because it's very, I think we could record probably a whole series about the coaching journey and how it's actually amazing and not a uh, waste of money, like I thought at the beginning. Uh, but it kind of changed my perspective on a number of things. The first one was identity. Like I said, like I'm trying to be more uh, kind of mindful but also I'm trying to be more conscious of who I am and who I want other people who I want to be for other people so I think I'm trying to come to a place in which only one version of Mikhail exists and I'm okay with their talking to my parents and to my friends and doing stuff like when nobody sees her then we talked about the money conversation which was also something that I didn't realize was super important in my life which is how do I use money to kind of prove myself you know I think it was a way for me to prove to other people that I was worth it growing up I was never the one with the most money so I think when I started making money it was important for me to pay for other people because I wanted them to see you know I can do this like I can provide for you I mean I think there was a number of of different things now but what I came to realize is that I am indeed on the pathless path, so I have no idea where I'm going, and I think that's that's very interesting because even though it's the first time in my life that I don't have a goal to work to work towards, it's the time in my life where I am the most confident that I'm gonna do something incredible, which I still don't know what it is. I don't know if this makes sense. It's still very. I'm still trying to make sense for of it myself. Uh, but I think, yeah, I'm trying to shift towards a place in which I allow myself to create instead of kind of being uh, stuck to models of myself that I built for me.
1: Yeah, like outside in, just listening to you, it makes perfect sense. And I really get the impression that you're on a journey and that you're, you currently have the right tools in place and you have a very healthy mind to go about this super cool to, I mean, this, I think what I already told you, like when we got to know each other a couple of weeks ago, um, that it's like, you seem to, to create a very, like, you seem to enjoy the journey <laughs> really. Like it's not <laughs> only a, a saying. And uh, another thing which you just mentioned, it's like that you're creating your path, which is a neat transition to you as a creator. Cause I think like one of the things which I also found compelling where you like, when you were talking about all of this and all of the coaching sessions and that you, that you're writing and um, that you're like already um, creating small to mid-sized audiences for yourself. Like what's the, how does create, how do you feel and think about creation and do you pursue any particular goal? And, um, yep.
0: Yeah, so I have a few. So I use TikTok and LinkedIn Mail. Those are my my the the platform in which I have the biggest audience. And I think in both of for both for both of the platforms, I don't have a strategy what like any strategy whatsoever. I just write down whatever I feel like people could use, or you know what could be useful for people. Yes, and on TikTok, it's also very much random so when i feel like i have something which is uh interesting to know or useful for people to hear then i say it how i feel it and i think that's why the audience kind of got created there was no strategy behind it i you know for maybe there is a month in which i post every day and then i don't post anything for four for full month. uh but i think what really resonates with people is the fact that i i'm a, i like you said i'm unfiltered so it's very easy for them to resonate with me you know when i think the hard part is that especially on tiktok and especially with young people usually they seek confirmation so they want to hear that they're doing everything right and that it's never their fault and that the world is a bad place and that they are just doing their best and that's okay but that's not my view on things so i could never put a goal Of like followers or engagement or any other number to me, because if I then create content to reach the goal, I think my content wouldn't be authentic anymore. I much rather, I would much rather like to, I just say things when I feel like I have something worth saying. And then if you want to look at the video, good. If you're scared because I'm telling you I think you're doing something wrong and it's not the word's fault, you could actually use a different strategy here. Then I mean just keep it. I don't care. What 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 works with LinkedIn is that I don't try to put myself on kind of a, on a pedestal. So I never say like, oh, I go I was super successful because I did this, this, and this. Most of my posts are actually. I had no idea what I was doing, but I did my best and then this was the result. Or, you know, I made a mistake or, you know, I quit Google because it wasn't the place for me. Maybe it's a place for you, but it wasn't the place for me. And I think that's what people like because we are, you know, there's a lot of successful content, but I think, you know, people who made it kind of, but I think the real made it it's people who realize that they are making it so it's it's not the the end result that people want um i think or at least that's not what i can give because i'm not nearly finished so if i wait to be kind of done or if i wait to have have made it let's say uh before i speak to people you might not hear from me from probably another 50 years because from from the from the uh, speed at which things are going every five days. I have a new project that I need to work on. So we're never going to be done with it. I think what's really interesting about me, or at least I, I want, I like to believe that that's interesting about me, is that I'm very transparent when it comes to, you know, I changed my mind. I changed opinion. I don't think what I thought yesterday anymore. And I made a huge mistake and this is how I fixed it. So I, I think, yeah, that's that's how I think about social media.
1: Yes. Super cool. And like one other point, which I found super cool once we met the other day was like, how you told me how you're sparring with your coach around your content creation, like the five whys or her challenging on you, you, on your, what you're really feeling. Could you elaborate on that?
0: Yes. Yeah. So I, when I, of course I talked to her about everything really i mean i think it doesn't make any sense to embark on such a journey if there's no trust and transparency and so when i uh during the past few months i realized that work for it that was originally supposed or actually i wanted it to be like a vc-backed startup it's not a vc-backable startup it's uh side business, it's a side gig. It's something that really doesn't take a lot of my time that I just do with love. It doesn't need to be huge. It just needs to do what it it was always supposed to do at the end. And so I told her, you know, initially we don't really have the culture of failure. Everybody talks about their successes. So I feel like I wanna do a post about saying that the original idea that I had for work for it failed, but it's gonna turn into what it was always supposed to be, which is a small side gig. And she said, uh, "Well, that's that's not really interesting." I mean, she said, "Anybody could do that, you know, like er, oh, n- n- like ninety-five percent of startups fail, so you know, it means that ninety-five percent of founders worldwide could write a post on LinkedIn saying my startup failed. So what what is it that you can actually say to the world?" And so we we kind of tried to uh, go a little bit deeper into the topic, and we she asked me why did you think that Workshare needed to raise money? And I realized it was a matter of what are the others doing. So everybody was raising money and I thought, well, if I am a worthy founder, I also need to raise money. And at the same time, we realized that when I quit Google, I kind of wanted to have something big on my plate because I was leaving a lot of money on the plate because it was a cool brand, whatever. And the only way for me to kind of tell myself, it's okay, you're making the right decision was by saying, I'm jumping into something bigger and better. And that's why I thought, well, then I need to raise money because I need to prove that to them that I know what I'm doing, right? But that didn't make any sense. And now that I realize it, now that I realize that work for it didn't need any money, actually work for it made money instead of uh, asking for money, which is also something that I had—I forgot to see. You know, I was like, "Oh, I didn't raise money. I'm such a failure." And then I was like, "But I made some money out of this, so it's—it's it's not really a failure." Anyways, I think the cool part was, she said, "Why don't we put it this way? You realize that you don't need something big to quit Google." If you don't like your job or if you don't think you are in a place that allows you to be yourself fully or to express yourself fully or to reach your full potential you don't need to wait to have you know hundred million from a VC on your on your plate you can just do whatever you feel like you need to do next and I think that's such a powerful message it's way more interesting than just saying my company didn't raise money and I failed to to talk to VCs. And I think being able to kind of dive deeper into my identity and to what I want to say also allows me to be more transparent with my audience. And it's not a matter of, I didn't want to do it before. I really didn't know any better. I really thought that I was being as honest as I could. And probably I was. It's just that, you know, the more you get to know yourself, And the more you are able to uncover layers of yourself. And what I want to do is, you know, while I uncover them for myself, I also want to show them to the world, because I think that's powerful because I think, you know, it's important that people see as deep as they can inside of you. And yeah, I mean, I think that really depends on how deep you're able to see inside of yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, totally resonates. I think it's super cool. Hey, as we are approaching the uh, one hour mark, I think let's slowly close it. I have like one last obvious remark about you, which uh, strikes me when I'm speaking with you. Um, it's like how you smartly monetize thing, things and test things. Like it's not only about how you're currently going about getting gigs for your own journey. It's also last time when you told me how you actually validated slash started monetizing um, work for it. Uh, could you tell us this story and how you generally go go about those things?
0: Yeah, I think one big thing to say here is that when you don't come from a lot of money, you need to be you learn how to be resourceful. So. The idea of raising money before making money was never in my plan because again, that's not how I was raised. You have to first like validate it and you know make sure that you're doing something and then if somebody wants to help you that's better. But I think that was that's the general idea that drives me. Um, and with worksre it was basically the same. So originally worksre was a platform where like I said like a marketplace where students could be booked by companies and I would get a fee out of the uh, every transaction. What I did to create that was uh, finding all the low-code, no-code tools that there were on the market and then getting the cheapest one and then building, building one myself. When I started making some money out of that, I was like, okay, we can improve this. So I used my own building platform. Building
1: what yourself? Building the, what yourself? The,
0: the, the, no, the marketplace. So I built the marketplace myself.
1: Ah, nice. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And when I started making some money out of it, I was like, okay, this could make sense. And so I used my own platform to look for a student to help me improve it. So I found the student and he could write code, which I couldn't. And he kind of improved the design and like a lot, a number of different things. Then I realized, you know, that's one side of the business that works. That's okay. But then I was like, I need more students. And I mean, students are always available, but I was like, I need more students to understand this is really important for their future. How do I coach them, like all of them? Because, you know, I was offering already coaching sessions, but they wouldn't pay for it because probably they felt like I did, you know, when I started my coaching journey, that's, you know, I don't want to spend money for that. And so I thought maybe if it's a matter of money, let's see what happens. If instead of telling them you pay by the session, I tell them you pay for the full support, You could talk to me like twice per month and you have a direct line with me so i'm gonna give you my phone number you text me whenever you want for nine euros per month that was such a success that was crazy i realized at a certain point i was making like one thousand per month like after three days of launching this thing uh, just because people like students they so the, the nine euros for them was so low that they could kind of see the value and they really needed the support so it's not what i realized is they don't need the one-off i give you the answer it's not like they have a question in mind they want to know that if they need something they're supported so we started this program and then now we're all in a telegram group and i mean we talk every day there's like 500 people on the group and it's great they help each other that's amazing and you know i started making money out of it but then I, they, this went on for like a few months and then I stopped it because I realized that they were kind of using me to not make not make decisions. They, were, they kind of felt into the trap that there is somebody in the world that has all the answers and you need to have access to that person. And that person for them was me. So they were calling and they were like, oh, I have such a hard question, you know, hard decision. Should I do marketing and management or just marketing? And I was like, who cares? Like, that's not a hard choice. <laughs> do whatever you want. Like, it's it, nobody really cares. Nothing is going to change. And so I thought, you know, instead of them thinking that there's one person that has all the answers and they need, they need to, take the, to make the right choice, they need to understand that they're not the only ones going through this and that whatever they do, if they put in the hard work, you're going to be successful. So I created this Telegram group and I was like, whenever, it's for free, of course. Like I was like, I'm going to say no to all the money. We, we stop this because I think it's not useful for you. Uh, and I told them whenever there's something that you think it's important, a question or a decision that you need to make, put it in the chat. And let's see what the others say. And that completely changed the game for them. Because I told them, I believe in you. Whatever you want to do, just know that if you need me, I'm here. But let's say what the others do. And then they realize, but all of our problems... Are not that you know incredible. They're basic life choices that we need to learn how to make. And I think yeah, that's how uh, now we have this amazing community, and you know they help each other, and it's much more powerful for everybody. Uh, So I think yeah, there was an easy way for me to monetize that, but I don't think that would have served me long term. Neither me nor them. So how many
1: people are in the group?
0: I think now it's about four to five hundred
1: yeah nice and how do you manage the like do they rotate like do new people come in and others churn out
0: no and uh whenever i mean the link is nowhere so usually like i i set it on tiktok once and so people just write me on linkedin on uh, instagram and like hey can i have the link for the telegram group uh again because i I post a lot of stuff. We talk about a lot of stuff, but I really want people in the group to kind of be aligned with the vision that we have, which is nobody has all the answers. We're just going to learn how to navigate the uncertainty.
1: Yeah, um, I love it. Um, I think I think this is actually a, an amazing closing. We could also <laughs> go into the other gigs, but I think this is actually the... Um, of the, the best possible closing we can have. And I think it's not going to be the last uh, recorded conversation, hopefully, with you. and um, no. It's been amazing. Really, I'm really looking forward to, to cutting this already now. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, Michaela.
0: Thank you very much for having me. I loved it.
1: Is there anything you want to shout out, by the way, or you want to say as a fully last thing?
0: Oh, no, I really don't know. I think, I mean, this was my first time on a podcast. So I really hope I was able to get all the messages across in the right way. That's the only thing that I can say.
1: Thanks for listening to Nonlinear. If you like the content, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. That's at IamKrishi3, 3 as the number and Krishi with S-C-H-I. Reach out on any of the platforms if you have comments, questions or just want to chat.